0: Am I turned on, Ross? Yes, great. Well, Stuart, you clearly have faith without borders in asking me to speak today. (laughs) Uh, The September series of sermons, the teaching, I believe is going to be really important for all of us. And if we can take in the truth of what God has for us, it will transform our lives our walk with Christ. Today, last week, it was God made you. And today, it's God made you well. Do you believe that God made you well? Do you sometimes look in the mirror and long to be different? Good. (laughs) I think as we can see... God as he intends us to be, if we can see ourselves through God's eyes, that will release a new confidence and energy in proclaiming his word and sharing the gospel. We are, do you remember what Stuart taught us last week? We heard that we are made in God's image, that we are known by him, that everyone's life is valuable to him. We learnt how we are created for an intimate relationship with God. And that we're his image bearers. I find that awesome. Just, oh, hold on. Technicalities here. Clearly the computer wasn't made in the image of God. Well, I'll carry on anyway and we'll get a picture up in a minute. Uh, last Two weeks ago, we had an amazing Thanksgiving service in this very room for the life of Annie Vidler. Many of you may say, well, who was she? You'll see a picture in a minute. But Annie was fearfully and wonderfully made. God made her well. Yet... She was born with an abnormal pattern of chromosomes, along with abnormalities of blood supply for which she had to take pretty toxic medication to keep her reasonably healthy. As a result, she was short in stature, so you might have somehow overlooked her, as you looked over her, perhaps. She was quiet, and even when you met her, You could have been so, you could probably have not been aware of her enormous contribution to the life of this fellowship and the Christian life of our time. She dedicated her life to Christ and it was wonderfully used by Him. (coughs) Annie made a point of being there for those who were deprived, sick, broken in great need, those on mission overseas. Annie's life was filled with care and prayer for others, and it was deep and constant. Nothing stopped her from ministering to others, of being a powerhouse of prayer and a channel of God's love, yet wearing a cloak of humility. There you can see her. There's Annie. God made her well. Annie, like David who wrote Psalm 139, was fearfully and wonderfully made. Her life was focused on kingdom purposes. See if I can get it to move on. No. Can you move it? She was stuck with Annie. I love her, but I'd love to move on. So Psalm 139, you know so well, many of you. I heard it in prayers as we prayed for the young people going up uh, into youth and so on last week. There you are. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that bring into reality, what we've been singing, I am a child of God. You know, learn that, remember that. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, and if we look at verse 15, great, it's working. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. God created us and knit us together in our mother's wombs. And he has a special plan for each one of us. From the moment of our conception until the day we draw our last breath, all the days of our life have been ordained by God. And David writes this psalm to encourage us in this truth. I think it was encouraging him in the truth as well. It becomes a very personal psalm, as he talks about me a number of times. He knows about his personal God. Sometimes we just struggle to take in this truth, the truth that we are God's masterpiece. And yet that's just how Paul describes us in his letter to Ephesians. No, too far. There we are. In the New Living Translation, we read, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. Do you feel a masterpiece? In medieval times, a craftsman would work for months on a special piece of to display his finest artistic skill. Finally, when the work was finished, he'd take it to the Craftsman's Guild in the village in the hope of achieving the sort of honor of being a a master craftsman. And that's where the word comes from. His master craft, the result of it, was his masterpiece. And as you've just seen, and we'll go back to Michelangelo, and La Pieta. See in more recent times we know of many wonderful masterpieces created and as Michelangelo chiseling away at chunks of rough-hewn marble to create something beautiful beyond words. We read, you know exactly how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Throughout our journey here on earth, however long or short, God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is shaping us for perfection. And this is reached as we enter the gate and goal of heaven. So we're on a journey. You and I are God's masterpiece. We are the crowning act of his creation. And that is true Even when things crowd in and you just don't feel it, it is the truth. And it's especially tough when we're made in some way different from what we presume are ordinary people. In the book of Genesis, we're given an account of God creating the world. And several times we're told that God looked at his handiwork along the way and said, it is good. But creation still lacks something. So God created Adam and Eve and imprinted on them his unique likeness, his image. Then he looked at creation and said, it is very good. Among all the creatures of the world, only us humans are made in the image of God. And because of this, We are forever linked in the spirit of God, in our spirit to God. We are his masterpiece. David so understood that. See, God's eye is on us. And he made us well from the moment of our conception. (coughs) We are made in his image. It isn't that we look like God. rather, we reflect something of who God is. We bear his likeness. What's different? It's our capacity for relationships, our ability to communicate, to worship, to create, and our potential with the ability to choose. All these things are part of what it means to be made in the image of God. You and I possess these capacities. They've been given to us by God as he looks on the masterpiece of his creation. If ever you feel you're just a number and you don't really matter, find time to read this psalm again and remember this truth. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe this afternoon before our evening of worship, find time just to reread the psalm as a prayer and listening to God for what he says to you. It tells us a lot about God, but it tells us much about ourselves. The amazing truth is that God knows everything about us, everything, and yet he still accepts us and loves us amidst our brokenness and our failures. I loved it today how Ross, in leading the worship, shared the toughness of the week and the anxiety that came in, and he was sharing his brokenness. And yet, I've never known worship led more beautifully than today. It was Holy Spirit-inspired, and God was using Ross in his brokenness, saying, I'm with you, I'm using you, to lift us as we worship. We're tuned into the Holy Spirit and tuned in to hear what God has for each one of us. Our tendency is to run from God. We want to hide and cover up when we do something wrong, just as Adam and Eve did. We're afraid that people will discover who we really are. That's scary. We forget that God made us his masterpiece, and he loves us in and through the journey of our brokenness. You know, God uses brokenness as the path to our redemption. We begin to see our struggles in a new light. Then we don't deny them, but we look to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit within us because we long for God to shape us as he would have us be. It's often in realizing that we're broken that we're enabled to be used more fully in God's purposes. God's entrust his truth to us in our fragility and in our vulnerability. You know he could have sent angels to make known the glorious truth of the gospel. He could have sent the most admired Christian people to teach the nations his truth. <coughs> but he chose to use humbler, weaker vessels that his power might be evident In our day to day, ordinary lives, as we face the same temptations as everyone else. Because we love Christ, because we want to live for Him, it doesn't mean that we're not facing temptations day by day. See what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4 5 to 7. The message paraphrases on the screen. Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ the Master. And then Paul goes on. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone confusing God's incomparable power with us. You know, God's power will never leave us We can never get away from his presence. He reaches out, pouring his healing into our brokenness. Let me give you a picture. There was a a Catholic nun who some of you know Burswood very well. Some of you worked at Burswood. And she came to Burswood. She'd been sent there by her community in the Midlands because she'd become quite paranoid and the community rang and said she was too unwell for them ever to care for her again. She felt abandoned by her community and punished by God. Why has this happened to me, she said. She was so distraught. She'd been raised in a very strict home, and somewhere along the way, she developed a fear of God. Her parents told her that God was always watching her. Instead of being comforted by this truth, she was intimidated by it, and she feared God's disapproval. One day, she was talking with one of the nursing staff. She said she was so frightened by the knowledge that God was always watching her. The nurse listened, and then shared with the nun a liberating thought. She said, oh sister, you've got it wrong. You see, God does see you all the time, but do you know why? It's because he just can't take his eyes off you because he loves you so much. That was truly the beginning of her recovery and the realization that God had indeed made her well. In time she was welcomed back by her community who said she'd never come back and her health was restored. The good news of the gospel is that God knows everything that is to know about us. All the things you and I have ever done, the good and the bad, and he still loves us. He just can't take his eyes off you and me. David in that psalm reminds us God is all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. God is present everywhere. You know, in creating us, uh, God resisted the temptation to build in a tracker to know exactly where we are and what we're up to. That may happen today. But in his overwhelming love for us, God just can't take his eyes off us. He loves and cherishes all he has created. You may find that hard to believe. But you know, God won't let you get lost in the intensive care unit. You can't get lost in hospice care. You can't get lost in the shadows of life when darkness stalks you and you're not sure which way to go and panic overwhelms. You won't be lost in grief when all you can do is cry and the aching of your heart simply won't heal and you won't be lost to God when you go through a divorce and you feel rejected and a complete failure. There is nowhere we can run, nowhere we can hide, nowhere we can fall that is outside God's amazing love which is always present, always available. He is the master craftsman who made you and me well. But you might say, it doesn't feel like that always. It doesn't feel as though he did a great job. You look in the mirror again and think, oh, I wish I was different. You may know people who are terribly debilitated by something they were born with. You may wonder where God is in the midst of their situation yes, it must be so tough when we're born with or develop things to do with our physical or mental health or our appearance that are a struggle to live with. I think many of you will have come across uh, Nick Wojcic. We'll just see a minute. You You can go home sometime and go onto YouTube and look at his teachings. There are about 12 of Nick's YouTube videos which are, are moving beyond words. But Nick was born with no limbs at all, and he struggled with his situation. Can we just have sort of a minute and I'll, I'll move on just to get a feel of Nick? Here he is at Saddleback Church in the States.
1: Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you so much for your warm welcome. It is my privilege and honor uh, to be a friend and brother in Jesus uh, with Rick, go on Oprah with him. It was absolutely awesome. Jesus uh, was mentioned by Rick many times, but they cut it out the (laughs) J-bomb. But the way that God had me do what I did up the stairs, they couldn't cut it out. And so we, uh, I just want you to know it's just been a pleasure to stand on the front line of God's army with Rick on that one instance and boldly confess Jesus as Lord, and it was just so much fun. I'm so glad to be back here in Sailback. Thank you for your welcome. I would just like to actually open up this morning with a, uh, a quick video, if you may look to the screen.
0: Sorry, we'll have to move on. (laughs) Um, Do watch that if you haven't seen him before. It was in reading John chapter 9, just at the beginning of John chapter 9, when Nick was 15 years old, or 15 years young, that suddenly God spoke to him. That's the story of the man born blind. And do you remember what happened there? The disciples asking Jesus, why was this man born blind? It was Jesus' reply in verse 3 that brought Nick to faith and gave him purpose for his life. There you've got the text up on the screen. You know, when God spoke through those words to Nick, since then over half a million people have given their lives to Christ through his ministry and have been discipled and grown in their faith. Over half a million people. He's had, uh, he spent an hour with President Obama when he was in office uh, talking about his faith. And yet, you might have thought he wasn't made well. So that text you've got on, on the screen. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The disciples assumed that if the man had been born blind, then either he or his parents must have sinned terribly. But, you know, so have we sinned terribly it reflected the mistaken belief that the things that go wrong in life are necessarily a result of an individual's sin. So they asked Jesus, how could this have happened? Jesus answers that no individual alone had sinned to cause this. That is, neither the man nor his parents were responsible. See, we live in and a part of a sinful world. The brokenness that's around us is the result of all of our sin, yours and mine included. It was the disciples who assumed it was because of the sin of that man or his parents. Jesus gives us a reason for this man's blindness. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, He's talking specifically about this man. Jesus goes on to heal the man. He demonstrates that he is indeed God in human form. Yet again, we see God's power displayed. Yet the question remains, surely, what about all those other people with things that they're born with that are different? Is Jesus going to do anything about those? The answer is, Yes and no. You know, Ross said at the end of leading worship, he said, I'm not healed, but I know Jesus is there with me. And it's a journey. The answer is no, because in this life, most people, born differently, abled in some way, will live like that to some degree for the rest of their lives. That is the sad truth. Even though they've done nothing specific to deserve it, they and their families have a tough and frustrating time. This is not a result result of their sin. It is part and parcel of living in a sinful world. I say most because we're loved by a God for whom nothing is impossible. I received a letter from a chaplain at Burswood named Audrey, and she wrote, Gareth, many years ago, we brought my five-week-old grandson to a healing service. He'd been diagnosed with a genetic degenerative condition. You prayed for him and then said to us, he will be all right. Doctors were astonished when he gradually improved. He is now a healthy 21-year-old. See, there is a mystery, and nothing is impossible with God. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, God punished them. Part of that punishment was to subject all creation to decay. One of the central truths of the Bible is that we're all natural, naturally sinners from birth and yet are held responsible for our sin. Since the fall, the Bible maintains that sin infects every part of us because we have a sinful inheritance. (coughs) And yet, one of the glories of being made well, created in the image of God, is that we're treated by our creator God as responsible for what we think and what we say, and what we do. David again realized this. He wrote Psalm 51. Do read it again. He wrote it after his adultery with Bathsheba, and after he'd had her husband Uriah killed to cover his tracks. Have a read. It's fascinating. Much of the suffering and pain we see in the world is tied up with a sin, That surrounds us. God allows it, not because he's in any way vindictive, but because he wants us to be reminded that there is more to life than what we just see around us. You see, our feelings and our desires, some of which we've been aware of for much of our lives, are not necessarily from God and may stem from the sin of our world. As we suffer and struggle with thoughts, longings, and feelings that are not of God, so we need to choose to lean on Jesus and allow his Holy Spirit to control our thoughts and desires. It's a hard one, but every time you find your thoughts and your longings drifting away, Come back to Jesus, go back to His Word. We're then empowered to release more and more of our outer and inner lives into Him. Paul realized this, and when he was writing to the Romans, uh, chapter 8, verse 5, he says, Those who live according to their sinful nature have their minds set on what nature desires. For those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We look forward to the new Jerusalem we read about in Revelation chapter 21, where there is no more pain and no more suffering. And we look forward to the coming of Jesus, the fulfillment that we read about in Revelation chapter 22. So never forget that God created you. Jesus died for you, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that is an amazing recipe for being made well. Eventually, we will enjoy resurrection bodies free of the sinfulness that pervades our world. We read that we are the clay and God is the potter. Isaiah 64, verse 8, and Job 10, verses 8 to 12 are on the screen. And there are other references to find in the Word of God. The potter knows how long the clay must be worked on the wheel to become something beautiful in his sight, to be fully used in his purposes. See, God is still shaping you and me, It was the converted slave trader, John Newton, who knew he was still being shaped by God when he wrote, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not yet what I hope to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. He sees that journey. So the potter and the wheel. Have you ever seen a potter fashion, a piece of pottery? Perhaps you've been to Glazy Daisy up the road. Or seen the television program, The Pottery Throwdown, which Mary and I thoroughly enjoyed. It's fascinating to see a potter at work. A lump of clay is thrown onto that circular wheel as it spins. That soggy piece of mud. And you have no idea what it will turn out to be. But the potter knows in their mind's eye what the creation will look like. Slowly but surely, that mass of clay starts to take shape. The wheel spins and the hands move skillfully up and down, inside and out, until you see what the potter has created. And when the potter is satisfied and pleased with what he's created, he places that pottery in the the kiln to be fired. God fashions each one of us exactly as he pleases for his own perfect purposes, the purpose he has planned for our lives. Now that bothers some people. Maybe it bothers you. Understandably, people resist it and rebel against God who made them different. They don't like the way he did the job. They want to be shaped in a different way to how the potter created them. And that can leave people living with unexpressed anger, which sometimes bubbles over. And it can leave them feeling downcast day by day. They get up, look in the mirror, and long to be different. And there doesn't seem to be anything they can do to change that. Even an extreme makeover doesn't really solve the problem. And they're in a bondage. And the only way they'll be set free from that bondage is to understand the truth of the potter and the clay and let the Holy Spirit bring revelation that sets them free. Amazingly, you know, in our brokenness, we could be more beautiful in God's sight, more available to him in new ways. Just look at that beautiful, beautiful pot, this bowl, that had been broken into many pieces. And it's been repaired with gold, rather more beautiful than it was before it was broken. And that's just what God is doing with you and me as we return to him. As Stuart said last week, we're not biological accidents. We're not shaped by mere chance. We did not just happen to appear on the scene of human history. We're here because God made us well. What is well in God's sight? You know, God looks on the heart, not the physical form. Amazingly, God's word to Jeremiah is true for us too. We we read of God saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. So he has intimate knowledge of us. Each one of us has a personal call on our lives. We are called by name. He has taken responsibility for us. He shaped us. He knows how best we are shaped for his purposes. And he uses us in and through our brokenness. And he will walk beside us. He'll walk beside us as we remain in him. Do you remember Judas' inspiring sermon from John 15? So we begin to get that picture of abiding, remaining in Christ. And that's a picture of being well made in his purposes. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, we read, When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt. The refiner's fire is part of turning our brokenness into something or someone beautiful in his sight, a masterpiece. For God longs for us to allow him to grow us into the likeness of his Son, into the fullness of of our God given potential. I love this gravestone. Gravestones tell you so much as you walk around a graveyard. Uh, this one is the gravestone of Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Bell Graham. And at the bottom is written, We are still, oh, she writes, sorry, it is written, The end of construction. Thank you for your patience. You see, we're still under construction. There is always more to do this side of heaven. So God continues to shape us as he walks with us day by day. We are made well, but what is well in our sight? Let us beware of comparison. And in our jealousy, long to be more beautiful, intelligent, wealthy, popular, or whatever. You know, comparison is the enemy of joy and contentment. God, in his infinite wisdom, made us just the way we are. Let's trust him to use us as he sees fit. We really are God's masterpiece. Back to Ephesians 2, verse 10, New Living Translation. He goes on, He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Are we ready, by God's mercy, to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, to give thanks to God for who we are and how fearfully and wonderfully he made us? See, your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 6. As this truth soaks into your spirit and mind, so we will be prepared for the next steps that God calls us into. And many of us here in this fellowship have a sense of God calling us at this time into new things, into next steps. Do you remember Stuart's sermon in August when he preached from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, uh, let us run the race as set before us, looking unto Jesus, and Luke 9, about remaining resolute you know, it takes remaining resolute to get into that new chapter that God has for us. Let's be ready to keep going forward, living and dying in our Father's will. And even when our bodies seem in trouble, let's remember when things are tough that God made us well. If you look at that picture of Rena, it isn't a great picture. I took it and it was in the dark. Um, but if you look carefully, you might see something special about her. I met her four years ago at an amazing festival of human flourishing at the Christian Medical College, Velore, South India. It's a hospital that has several thousand beds. She was dancing with a vase of flowers balanced on her head. So what, you might say. Lots of people in India walk along with uh, things on their head. But you see, if you look carefully, you can see Rena has no upper limbs. So balance is more than just an achievement. Rena lost her limbs when she was just seven years old. She was playing on a rubbish tip, and she picked up power cables that had blown down in a storm. Her limbs were burnt off. After rehabilitation in Valor, she learned to cope with the daily routines of life. She even showed how she could dial from using her mobile phone, using her toes. How about that? You can try it later, not now. <laughs> later, she found the inner strength to pursue her education, and she eventually got a Bachelor of Education degree. When Rena got a job as a teacher, The students said she was the very best teacher, and they regarded her as a remote role model for themselves. And I read that in a newspaper article written about this lady. When asked about her achievement, she shared how, through her tragedy, she had been taken to the Christian hospital at Valor. How she had found life again through the love and the care of so many staff loving her into new life. Today, she would say she was made well in the image of Christ and that she is well thanks to the enabling presence, presence of the Holy Spirit within her. So our bodies may scream out when parts don't work as we think they should. But if our spirit is right with God, and we're free in our spirits to live in worship of him, then we're living out the truth that God made us well. You know, our journey from fear to trust can take a lifetime. God does not always protect his people from worldly evil. The trust we eventually place in him lies far deeper in the knowledge that he will be present in the (coughs) deepest waters, as we sang this morning and in the most acute pain, and the knowledge that his presence will transform our circumstances. No cheap belief in God as insurance will serve. I heard so many people at the hospice who were dying, feeling let down by God because they'd seen him as an insurance policy, rather than the truth that he was with them, sitting on the end of the bed, if you like, in their situation. By some miracle of grace, the memories of the past and the pain of the present are healed or transformed within his purposes as he shapes his masterpiece, as he makes us well. We read, he created us anew in Christ Jesus. Created us anew. The first thing I think of is this, living for God, living in his love, sharing his love with others. When God created you and me and you, he gave us a new heart that really loves him. He gave us a new heart that shows that love in love for others. You see, we're created so that we can do good things, Paul writes. God created us for a purpose. You'll hear that more, I think, from Rob, maybe, next week. He saved us for a purpose. He made us new for a purpose so that we could do good things. What good things come to mind? Maybe go to Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples. We can be pouring our lives into others, encouraging them, helping them to know Jesus, helping them to grow in Jesus. Do you remember Nick and those half a million people who've been discipled? That takes a lot of people to disciple new converts. We can be helping in that. Can you readily be alongside and be friends with those God has made differently? Because you'll be blessed in that. Because God has made them well and in his image. And Annie Vidler was a wonderful example to us in that. The reason you have value is because of what God says about you, not because of what other people say about you, not because of the wonderful things you have apparently done. You know, you are needed. You are needed in our church, in this fellowship. You are needed in our community. You are needed in this world. If you weren't needed, God would not have made you. He didn't create you just to sit around. He brought you here to make a contribution with your life. Everyone is needed. You know, there are no little people in the family of God. Even if, even Annie Vidler was a giant in prayer, if not in statue. Every part is necessary. Every role is important. You are important. You have value because God says so. He values you so much, what did he do? He sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. Doesn't that inspire you to go out and make disciples? God made us well. That's what he's equipped us to do. He, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, at work in us and through us, enables us know in those areas where we feel fearful, vulnerable, inadequate. Oh, I can't do that. That's not my gifting. But he will empower you. He will speak through you. He lives in you and through you because he made you well and he is shaping you for his purposes. So as I finish, some questions. Questions to think about through this week of prayer. Are you experiencing a deeper love for Jesus? Are you experiencing a growing love for other people that comes out of that deeper love, including those we feel less easy to love and be alongside? And then there's a challenge. We are here to reflect God's glory. Remember, you know, we are a radiant church, so we're here to reflect his radiance, his holiness, to worship him, to be his tangible presence on earth, to be part of enabling his kingdom to come, to deny ourselves, to take up his cross and follow him. So I've spoken for too long and I apologize for that, but if you remember nothing else, remember we are here as God's masterpiece, wonderfully and fearfully made for the purposes he has for you and me. We are his redeemed people, broken, yes, but living in his presence, leaning on Jesus by faith, radiating his love, being prepared to respond to any call he has on our lives. Do you know, if we cease to put our energy into longing to be different, if you look into the mirror tonight or tomorrow and you say, thank you, Lord, for creating me as I am, and not thinking, oh, why have I got that, and why do I feel like this? And instead, channel those energies into reaching other people. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their faith? Do Do you know their longing for Jesus that has never really been expressed? Think what the impact might be on Tunbridge Wells as we as a fellowship reach out in that truth. So we go into our week of prayer. And as I finish, if I may, I'm just going to pray uh, for each one of us. And if you just, you pray those bits in your heart that you resonate with, that you say, yes, Lord, that's for me. So let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, today we're turning everything over to you because you made us well. We're not going to hold on to anything anymore. Father, we we do understand that your word says we're your masterpiece. So use us truly for great things within your purposes. We want to commit our lives afresh to you, Lord, without any conditions without caveats. Lord, we come to you today to give up our rights, to lay down our lives, to offer our futures to you again, to give you our devotion, our time, our skills, our energy. Lord, we don't want to waste time deploring our weaknesses, wishing we were different, nor do we want to look at our unfittedness for the work you have called us to do. Because you have equipped us Lord God we acknowledge your choice with our lives to make us to make Christ attractive and understandable to those around us put your hand on us today anoint us with the oil of the one with good news save us from compromise heal our souls from small ambitions Deliver us from the itch always to be right. Save us from wasting time. Lord, help us not to judge others who seem to walk a smoother path. Lord, we consecrate our days to you. Father God, make your will more precious than anything else or anyone else in our lives. Fill us with your power. Lord, we ask this to the glory of your Son Jesus and Him alone. Amen.